Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. PodCTL is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud-native. Hello, Kubernetes community. Welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL Podcast. I'm Chris Short from Red Hat. Today, we're joined by Ops Advocacy Manager at Microsoft, accomplished author and editor, and all-around good person, Emily Freeman. How's it going, Emily? Good. My introduction does you little justice. So please introduce yourself. Let folks know what you do at Microsoft and, you know, kind of beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. So at Microsoft, I run the modern operations team within the cloud advocacy org for DevRel. And basically, I think of modern operations as a sort of container for things like DevOps, SRE, security, and just basic operations best practices or good practices, as I should say, mm-hmm. that will help teams improve their processes of overall. That's awesome. So what is you, the ops advocacy manager, what is your day like? I mean, are you managing these teams? Or are you like, I, well, yeah, explain that to me. Yeah, yeah. so I'm a people manager, um, but I also am involved in sort of the strategy from an operations perspective um, where we want to focus uh, at Azure about making sure that, you know, my goal is always making sure that operations folks leave their job smiling. You know, if I, if I can make Azure a fun and happy experience for its users, I'm happy. Uh, and so that's sort of where I kind of settle in on that. But certainly um, a huge portion of our focus is around reliability, um, just in cloud in general. Wow. Okay. So like not only reliability, but happiness in cloud. Like how do you measure that kind of level of happiness in like the overall like Azure kind of space, right? Like how do you make sure that your ops people are happy? Yeah. You've just described my like Q1 goals. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for real, like it's it's a hard thing to measure, you know, anytime you're talking about developer relations or advocacy in general, it's incredibly difficult to kind of nail down how you measure success. Um because it is sort of this like invisible glue that binds the whole org together, I think, in a lot of ways. And um I like to think that we enable our users to more easily adopt our products. Uh, I like to think that we support our product teams by providing them, you know, customer feedback and insight into what the community is thinking and where the community is going. And so we are, we are this sort of almost ephemeral role within the entire company. Um, but how do you measure your user success? You know, I think mm-hmm. there are traditional measurements of that. Um, certainly when we speak, you know, at first party events, we have, Ratings and surveys um, don't say mean things, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't think that fully grasps uh, the everyday interaction. So a lot of oh, it, yeah. a lot of it for me is anecdotal. Oh wow! Okay, so I, yeah, like that's kind of to an extent some of my job, right? So I think of you know someone's happiness, right? Like I have to use these tools too, right? So if mm-hmm. I'm right now installing uh don't ask me why i'm doing this it's a long story but i'm installing uh, openshift on like two nooks here in my house it's for mm-hmm. various reasons there are reasons it's legit trust me okay. um but you know i'm going through this and i'm like wow yeah like we've done a lot of work on the installer but since i'm doing it this way kind of this out of the box not normal kind of you know yeah. 20 problem space 
uh, I'm tripping over some issues. And that is part of my job is to find these issues, trip over them before customers do, and then figure out the happiness piece of that. So, Oh, absolutely. With that yeah, being, I, yeah. With that being said, like, how do you, like, you know, somebody comes to you and is like, ah, I feel like this should be easier. Mm-hmm. What do you do to help them? Like, what is like, kind of like your process, right? Like, do you say documentation? Do you say, oh, you know, like, how do you handle happiness problems? Yeah. I mean, generally I think that if, if a customer is having trouble, there's a couple areas of improvement and it almost always rests on the company. So it's going to be your documentation isn't clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be for different brains, right? Like I'm big on, I, I ask stupid questions a lot. I call it idiot as a service. And the reason <laughs> <laughs> is like, if I'm willing to just be, uh, you know, the designated moron in the room, um, it really does sort of help relax it because then you, you can ask these questions that will help the end user. And a lot of times we're so proud and and we're so sort of almost myopic in our our work that we can lose sight of how other people, like you were saying, interesting use cases um, and simply different ways of kind of going about something. Not everyone has the same background. Not everyone thinks the same. Um, Not even, you know, I'm big on like, I suck at reading the manual. I'm totally honest about this. Um, I am really bad about like sitting down and reading for an hour on how to install something. I I love when people teach me something. I I learn through, um, listening. So videos work well for me, uh, but making sure that we, we aren't just presenting documentation or instructions in a single way is important for sure. Yeah, I really, I, I get that. And I struggle with, um, kind of the w- different ways people learn things too, a lot oh, yeah. in, in the sense of like, I can hand somebody a manual that's not going to work for you, but I bet if I hand you like a checklist, you could probably figure out all the needed bits in between. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, a video or something, right? Like, there's different ways people learn, and it's it's super challenging to figure those pieces out. So, like, it you, is. Know, you, you mentioned your, your Q1 goals. Um, this is great. Uh, I'm glad we're getting an early start on those. But, like, the biggest <laughs> challenge is... watch, Chris, okay? <laughs> right, yeah, like, it's December 9th. It's, it's game over. <laughs> we might as well pack it up for the year. <laughs> Jeez. It's so true, though. Um, so... <laughs> What are your, some of your challenges that your team specifically are facing in cloud and more specifically kind of around container adoption amongst the folks that you're helping? Yeah, no, I think anytime, um, anytime you're trying to reach a large group of people in an industry as diverse and unique as this one, um, you're going to have issues around making sure that the content you create and provide actually answers the questions people have. And one of the challenges is everyone has different questions, right? There's sort of a spectrum of adoption, whether it's cloud or containers or whatever you're talking about. Um, And and people are at various points along that adoption scale, but at the same time, they're dealing with really unique situations. So they have, you know, unique infrastructure, unique considerations or unique code bases and and all, how do they, you make these 10 tools work together on this one cloud? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a lot of times, like, you can talk very generally, I think, about things like, okay, uh, use the cloud. This is good. Um, <laughs> and I think we're, we're all on the same page about that. But, like, getting helping them to actually um, proceed in a way that serves both their customers, mm-hmm. um, because that's an interesting thing, being a vendor, right? We have customers, but we serve customers, customers, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so making sure that everyone is sort of 
doing things in a way that benefits them in, in the best way possible. That's it's tricky. Yeah. If, if there's any way, like, can you give an example of like when you've walked into a room and there's been this huge knowledge gap between where people are and where they want to be? If you, can you kind of provide some context on what that's like for other people? Cause I've done it a lot. Yeah. I don't feel like yeah. that's shared amongst the grander view of people though. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that I don't think I've ever like nailed it. Um, so it's usually I'll go in with a more beginner friendly or um, sort of generic, you know, presentation or talk or tutorial, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then people want something deeper or they want something more specific to them. But unfortunately, like if you're speaking to a crowd, you can't, you can only get so specific, you know? Um, and then the other side is we have talks, you know, especially around like SRE. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times like you and I, we've been in this for a while. And so like DevOps SRE seems super familiar and almost old, you know, like when I was writing the book, DevOps for Dummies, you should definitely buy it. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyways. <laughs> when I was writing the book, people kept saying like, why are you writing that? There's no point. Everyone already does DevOps. Um, and it, it's just been really interesting because I think we over assume mm. um, mm-hmm. just how far ahead people are, or, or even if they, are somewhere how comfortable they are with it right like right yeah yeah oh the, the comfort thing definitely right like i uh i was on a call friday just talking to folks about like GitOps and you know how does it relate to things of the past and where do you think it plays into things of the future and it's like well i'm currently doing this with you know this website or that application right like and it's doing it publicly blah blah blah, blah, blah. i feel like everybody should do it this way why aren't you yet and they're like chris you're living kind of years in the future potentially yes. uh, from where everybody else is. And like, it's, it's, it's hard to remember that at times, especially mm-hmm. when you're like conferencing for a while, for example, right? Like if you've gone to several large conferences in a row and you've had to talk to people about, you know, what they're trying to do and places they're going. Well, when you sit down and talk to people later on, that's what you start talking about is like the places that they should go, not necessarily, you know, listening to them and getting the feedback and kind of like figuring out where the best point to start is on the spectrum. And that's kind of, it it really ties into the whole DevOps feedback loop, right? Like if you have a Mm -hmm. ton of info, but you're not getting any feedback, that's not going to jive. So the, the, (laughs) the feedback that, you know, and the info that you provide, you wrote a book, DevOps for Dummies, which is wonderful and everyone should buy it, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like some of the challenges that you faced in just writing that book, I'm sure apply to some of the people that are like uh, doing real work today. For example, like there's a standard format that you follow to write this book. There's, you know, standard uh, text and mm-hmm. things and phrases and everything that you've kind of had to you know, create a common language that's used throughout the book. You have to create a common language that's used throughout your organization. So like a lot of those things kind of get coupled together. So, you know, there's, there is that, what, (laughs) what is Mm -hmm. it from DevOps from, for dummies that you pull out consistently and say, listen, you need to hear this. Like, what is like the one thing from that book that you feel like pretty much is table stakes that a lot of people don't realize is table stakes. The same thing I always go back to, which is the tools are the least important concern. And if you don't nail your communication, your clarity, your culture, Mm. that the problems you're experiencing now will persist into whatever tool you choose to adopt. So it's not that tools aren't 
eventually important. They are obviously, and they can accelerate us, but right. um, solving the people problems I think is, is most important. Yeah. And that's what I don't think people realize is that, um, you know, you can do all this stuff cloud and you can spin up, you know, Kubernetes clusters, but if you don't uh -huh. change the way you actually use those tools, then you're going to end up with the same problems. And a lot of people I think are, maybe, you know, unintelligent in that issue and are pointing to like, oh, well, Kubernetes will definitely save us. Look, containers and speed and all this other stuff. But I've seen it firsthand, right? Like, you can make that process really hard. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's easier, right? Like, it feels, um, like, going back to my powerlifting days, there was the same, like, you know, the things that are easy are complex and things that are simple are hard, you know? And yes. um, I think it seems like somewhat of a silver bullet to use like, you know, a Kubernetes or something. It's just like, okay, well, this is, this is what everyone's using. This is what we need to do. This will fix our problems. Right. Um, if you don't solve the process issues and the people issues, mm -hmm. I, my constant fear is that these companies are setting themselves up, selves up for like extremely catastrophic and fantastic failures because you are not only like automating the problems that exist, you are oh, yeah. <laughs> distributing them. <laughs> I see your point of view a little better now. Yes. You're replicating them. Like <laughs> oh, and you're, and you're DRing them. Yes. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it gets really tricky. But I'm ultimately, like, the thing I always come back to is this is hard mm. and people need to give themselves like a break, you know, no matter where you're at. This is hard. The problems you're trying to solve are difficult and, and it's okay wherever you're at. Right. And I think, um, a lot of people get frustrated in the sense of like, this should be easier than it is. And uh -huh. I, I don't like it here anymore. And I, I, I need to change jobs and like all these things go through their head. Yeah. I know for me, it has happened time to time, but I think at, if you're having those thoughts, it might be better to come back around and say, am I using the tooling in the way it's intended? Mm -hmm. No. Why? Yeah. You know, and then like if you go from there, right, like it, to, people buy tooling is I like to tell a lot of people like mm -hmm. an organization spent a lot of money on something. They want you to use it. If you're using it in a way that you have to have all these workarounds and odd like caveats for uh, that is the problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Not necessarily the tool. It's the fact that you have to do all these weird things that the people that created the tool never intended you to do. For sure. And I think some of that comes back to like did a CTO – hear about X tool at a conference or read about it and then, you know, said from on high that, that we are now adopting this. Was it, was it a mandate or was it a groundswell and an actual agreed upon solution to a problem? You know, those are going to have very different dynamics. That's a good point. And the, the, your, your latest project that you're working on that I just heard about recently is called 97 yeah. Things Every Cloud Engineer Should Know. Can you tell us yes. a little bit more about that and like what your intent yeah. is behind the book? Definitely. So it's an O'Reilly project. Um, it's actually similar. So coming up, I have JavaScript January, which is uh, a collection of articles around JavaScript published okay. every day in January from the community. Um, and a lot of the things I've done over the last few years are around this concept of inviting other people to contribute and to share their voice, no matter where they're at or what their education is. Mm -hmm. um, and so 97 Things Every Cloud Engineer Should Know is basically 97 short articles. They're about like 500 to 800 words, so two pages-ish. Mm -hmm. um, 
from anyone uh, around cloud. So I have a list of topics I think for our good starters, but um, I'm the first to say I kind of I really like unique points of view. I really like you know a little bit of weird thrown in, and so um, <laughs> <laughs> people are welcome to come up with their sort of um, special take on on the cloud and share it. That's awesome. So to yeah. full disclosure, I have signed up to do, you know, uh, what, what am I calling it? Security at cloud native speed. Uh, it'll yeah. dive into some of the Kubernetes components. Maybe that's too rich for the audience, but I think it's high level enough that people will get the memo on what's required for Kubernetes to run like safely. Yeah. Um, and with, you know, kind of with that, like how often are you seeing folks saying that like, yeah, we have this Kubernetes cluster. We're not sure what's going on. We know we need it for production. Just out of curiosity, right? Like how many people have you seen like they adopted something and their oops adopting of it uh, has kind of caused them problems? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is super common because any decision has consequences, both mm-hmm. positive and negative. Um, and so like. Kubernetes is no different from anything else in this way. I do think the edge that makes Kubernetes a little bit, um, dare I say, dangerous mm-hmm. uh, to the community is that we've sort of like created this cult around it. Um, mm-hmm. And it has its own sort of power and influence. And there's this belief that it is the sort of end all be all. And it is incredibly powerful. I don't want to undermine that at all. Right. right? right, um, right. But, but it is not the solution to every problem. And I think too many times with this industry, and I, honestly, I think, you know, probably you and I contribute to this because we speak a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm. wow, and we make well, me have deep thoughts. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lots of deep thoughts. It's deep thought December. Um, and because we're like going around and we, we have these talks around sort of new tooling and, and conceptual applications that we often lack this sort of in-depth, specific to whatever situation, um, like considerations around these tools, which I'm not entirely sure it's completely possible to hit every scenario, but I think Mm -hmm. we could do better. And I mean, to plug delivery comp, which is coming up in January, um, they are actually trying to do that, right? They're trying to do super technical talks where everyone talks. It is a CICD conference where you talk about the actual implementation, not just the concept. Ah, so yeah. here's the rough edges that we found that have worked around kind of conversations or what's the intended talk for that audience? Um, well, I, I'm not presenting, but the it, as far as I know, it's like, okay, well, this is how we set up Terraform oh, okay. for this situation. Nice. Um, yeah, so people can get a little bit more in depth and then kind of, uh, you know, take tangents from there. But I, I think having these sort of more specific, more in-depth conversations and tutorials are really important. That's something I, I want to do better. That's something Jay on my team does really well, actually. He's That's really true. Good. Yeah, yeah, Jay and I are friends. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's pretty great. awesome. Um, yeah, and that and brings up a good point, right? Like we talk about Kubernetes as like this end-all be-all, but Kubernetes is the new thing that can help solve problems. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of educational work that needs to go into it, right? But we still have all these great tools that solve real problems and we can't forget about them either. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's fun to remember that like, it's all fun and games until the S3 bucket goes, or S3 goes down <laughs> like globally, right. Like, or yeah. nationally potentially. Yeah. Right? Like, so um, if you neglect 
the the things that actually run your business, uh, those mm-hmm. things that actually keep the lights on. And, and if that is Kubernetes, awesome. But like if you neglect those pieces that are doing that, yeah. kind of money printing. And I've been in that operation where it's like, hey, this app is 10 years old. Uh, it's written in .NET. Nothing, n- nothing wrong with .NET, but it was written in .NET in, you know, 10 years ago kind of yeah. way. Like you're never going to you know, push this forward into Kubernetes, right? Like you have to rewrite this application to make it work in this way kind of thing. That stuff yeah. still exists out there and we can't ignore that. No, no way. And I mean, the bigger the institution, the the more complex you're going to see their code bases and their sort of compliance and security concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I always tell people is like, don't boil the ocean. You don't need to. I, I am a massive um, non-believer in complete rewrites. I think it's a disaster no matter yes. how you go around it. Uh, and so, you know, if the thing that makes you money is the cart and the cart needs performance improvements and the cart will serve better and be more reliable in a distributed system or whatever, um, do that, do that first, carve off this one portion, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and you don't need to rewrite the whole thing from a .NET monolith from 10 years ago into a, you know, a, a node microservice, right. uh, you know, containerized thing. Like it's just too much too fast. Yeah. Like I showed these people like .NET core and they were like, Oh, Okay, cool. We can work with this. I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. I'm glad. Like, but you know, like it takes a lot of effort, right? Like .NET Core came along because of the rise of containers and so forth, so on, right? And like you can speak more to that if you want. But we forget that there's all these things that we would have to make work better in these environments as we tell people about them. I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um but the, the, yeah, it's not just plugging in. There's no like universal USB C kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is is that like kubernetes could be USB-C, right because USB-C has all these varying standards for you know like layer or speed of communication and like the actual connectors can have like leads turned on and off and that's why you have one USB-C cable that works with a hard drive but not with something else and yeah it's a nightmare right so i mean maybe kubernetes is USB-C. <laughs> did we Who just knows? come up with a new a new metaphor here Maybe Kubernetes, USB-C for uh, what? Get your dongles. Get your dongles. Jeez. Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. I want some Kubernetes dongles. Um, anyways. yeah. So, you know, you're out there, like you've mentioned, Delivery Conf, you mentioned uh, DevOps for Dummies, you mentioned 97 things every cloud engineer should know. Like, where can yeah. people find you? Where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, the place I am most is Twitter. So I'm at editing Emily on Twitter. Um, I talk a lot about developer relations, mostly, uh, funny things my daughter says <laughs> and other shenanigans. Can I loop back to something you said earlier? That's Absolutely. The, are we, because people in tech, because engineers move jobs so frequently, I think that the average is like every year, year and a half. Mm. Um, does that sort of undermine some of our long-term capabilities of like implementation? Because like you were saying, you get frustrated with the tool and you're like, fuck this. Like I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. I'm going to go. Yeah, like the, the whole company, you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you go someplace else hoping. Just, exactly. Yeah. What, what I've learned is everywhere is a shit show. You mm. know, it's just different kinds of shit shows. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So, yeah, I wonder if we are doing some harm in that, but I feel like, you know what, if you have a set of skills and you can get paid for it, you should. 
So yeah, for if sure. you're moving for pay raises, definitely do that. Cause I know I did that a lot early in my uh, post-military career, but um, yeah, I wonder what yeah. kind of impact that is having on constantly uh, having to relearn how to do work in a different environment, but with newer and different tooling or something. There's a, there's a learning yeah. curve. Like you're putting multiple learning curves in front of yourself every time you change jobs. So what are oh you, my gosh. yeah. Like yeah. what are you sustaining? What have you kind of not, Conway law, not Conway's law, but like, what are you kind of perpetuating on the organization just by you showing up and, you know, your work going into the system? That, that is an interesting, like, piece of thought. Yeah. And would it, what, what is the sort of um, monetary value or loss? Because companies typically will not give their employees the kind of raises that they would give mm. new hires. Does that does that one implication actually impact, you know, our ability to implement some of these larger changes necessary for products? Well, it, there, well yeah, we can go on and on about this. Maybe this you is know? a subject for another show maybe someday. But I think you bring up another good point in the sense that, like, a lot of people that are banging on keyboards and terminals don't understand, like, the impact of their work towards either A, the bottom line, or B, customer satisfaction, or C, you know, some other important metric in your organization. And, you know, from my background, coming from, you know, the Air Force or whatever, it was great in the sense that, like, you know, X saved lives. The simplicity of, right, like, yes, I did mission, mission was successful, you know, check that box kind of thing. But, like, I had that repeatedly over and over yeah. again. If I had that in a job, I would probably stick there longer. Mm -hmm. Um but the pay is always like the undergoing or the underlying reason, in my opinion, to like really transition jobs. Um, yeah. If we're not paying newcomers enough, okay, great. We know they're going to build some technical debt. Do we want to pay them enough to make sure they're around to fix it is the question. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of companies don't look at that in the right direction maybe, but that's probably going to have to change at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, that would be a really interesting thing to look at, you know, from actual dollars and cents, like, what does this cost the company because you're not retaining talent? Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I get cool. it. All right, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on PodCTL today. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcast.podctl.com or at PodCTL on Twitter.